What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. And we're super excited for today's guest. We have Amanda White, who is a licensed professional counselor, a a retired party girl turned (laughs) relatable therapist, the founder of Therapy for Women's Center, which we can't wait to hear all about. Um, And really the reason you're here is because we were like, okay, Jenna and I were drunk dietitians. And then we were like, what the fuck? Like this doesn't suit us at all anymore. So then we transitioned to what the actual pork podcast and I think that's how I found you, Amanda, as I like posted something about like- Yes, you posted about Groovy, yes. like the alcohol-free beer, which yes. I love. Um, and that was, yeah, that was how we connected on Instagram. So cool. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Yes. I just feel like I'm just smiling like into space because I feel like there's so many things I just want to learn from you. <laughs> I want to hear about your growth. I want to hear your story. Sam and I briefly chatted before we came on together that this season of our podcast is going to be all about growth. And I feel like this is a perfect platform for you to share. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that you guys were, because I was re-listening to the episode that you guys did on how you changed and the rebranding and all of this. And um, I love that you guys both have like, it's so great because I mean, I'm a sober person. I don't drink. Um, so it's so amazing to hear though, like, you know, especially the anti-diet community starting to see the differences between alcohol and, you know, food and see the differences between how much they're not the same. And it's been so cool to watch, um, to watch, you know, you guys evolve and people evolve into people who aren't, you know, sober or in recovery from a substance use disorder, talk openly about how you can like question your relationship with alcohol. Cause that's like, I mean, that's my whole thing. That's my story. I struggled a lot with an eating disorder and a substance use disorder at the same time, specifically alcohol, especially. And I kept relapsing in one and picking up the other. So I would, especially my eating disorder was my primary, but I kept relapsing in terms of, I would um, go out at night, I would get drunk and then I would like binge and purge and I would relapse. So it was so important for me to be able to look at both. And that's really my clinical work now. I specialize in the overlap of both, especially in women. That is amazing. And we want like, so relatable. Yeah. Pick your brain (laughs) completely. So we want to start with like, just like Jenna was saying, like the theme of season two for what the actual fork podcast is growth. So if you don't mind sharing with us, you can take 30 seconds or 30 minutes of like 
what is the story behind Amanda White? How did you get to where you are today as like the owner of Therapy for Women's Center and how you got here? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I've been in recovery from my eating disorder and substance use disorder for six and a half years now. Um, like I said, I kind of kept relapsing and I was someone who I grew up moving a lot and that really impacted me in terms of feeling like I had friends. I related to both of you guys a lot with talking about, you know, being at Penn state and it was the way to make friends. That was very much my experience, um, going to college too. And I remember when I first started drinking, feeling like, this is what was missing for me. Like this is the secret sauce to like having friends and being comfortable. Um, I also dabbled with doing Adderall because it helped suppress my appetite. And that was really, I felt like that was amazing too. And it, it worked for a while until it horrendously didn't. Um, and I think that it isn't talked about enough about just, especially in women, the overlap of alcohol of maybe whether it's Adderall or something else, even like diet pills, right? Like some type of suppressant of an appetite thing and food and how those all interact together. Um, so I graduated college somehow. I caused a lot of damage <laughs> with my relationships, with my friendships, I mean, I feel like the epitome of just how rock bottom it was for me was we went to beach week, like senior year, and everyone didn't want to be around me so much that I was in a room by myself with like a king size bed and everyone else was like sharing multiple, multiple twin beds because it was like, <laughs> I was such a mess. Um, also like totaled my car that weekend too, which wasn't, you know. Great. And it was funny because I was like sober, but I totaled my car because I was so hungry because I was like binging and purging and like wild. And my like brain was not there. And I don't think people talk about that enough, like the mental <laughs> health and clarity issues that happen when you're, when you have an eating disorder. Um, so I saw a lot of therapists growing up who I lied to, didn't connect with, felt like they were judging me. And then after I graduated college, I was really lucky to find a therapist who was really honest and she shared that she was in recovery. And that made just a huge difference for me and starting to be honest. And I started to have glimmers of hope. And um, that was what led me to be like, maybe I can go back and do this. And I went to grad school while I was still trying to get into recovery. And um, yeah, I promised myself kind of if I like made it to the other side that I would, you know, spend my life doing the same for others. And then I, you know, got licensed or I worked, you know, I worked at a drug and alcohol rehab for a while and really saw firsthand how much the overlap of food and addiction happened. And especially it was so hard watching, I mean, like this is a very common thing in uh, alcohol and drug rehabs where they're like sugar-free everything, sugar is a drug, they police the amount of food people are allowed to eat. And a lot of these people are super malnourished. Like they haven't eaten for years. And then they're being told you're an addict because you're like getting an extra cookie or, you know, and that causes people to hide things and do more behavior. They call it addict behavior when we know that it's actually just like, you know, your body trying to survive and being hungry. 
And so I, once I finished working there, um, I really wanted to create, I created therapy for women because I was like, I think women are often, they don't, a lot of times women are labeled, misdiagnosed. We don't understand the overlap of all the different things that go on, especially when trauma is in the mix. And I want to create a place that treats the whole person and also is like a modern approach. So we started therapy for women four years ago and here I am now. And wait, where are you now though? Because as we were like perusing your website, it's like an endless amount of options and people and things. So like elaborate. We're based in Philadelphia, (laughs) um, but we also have therapists that are licensed based on, I mean, it literally came naturally out of the pandemic, out of people on Instagram reaching out and being like, hey, do you know a therapist in Texas? And I was like, no, but I was, then I started hiring people who were licensed there. So currently... Uh, we're licensed in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Delaware, not, sorry, not Delaware, Maryland, DC, Virginia, Texas, California, and Florida. And, and everything's virtual? Yeah. Uh, Philly, we're in person, but all the other states are virtual. Yes. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and like we Thank were you. chatting with you before, Jenna's in New Jersey. I am in Florida. We both work virtually. So whatever you need to, yes. to <laughs> just make it a team, we're here. That is Absolutely. wild. And congratulations to you for all the, the growth that has Thank happened you. personally and professionally over this past however many years. Yeah. And I asked you before we got on air, I was like, how many therapists do you have? You're like, I don't even know. Like, that's a lot. That's, yes, that's just do. a testament to, to your growth. Um, so there's so much I want to get into. I know. But, but Jenna, yeah. I feel like I saw you taking notes. I'm going to flip it to you first and get my thoughts. I, would, I just feel like I have so many different ways that I want to take this. But, you know, my dietitian that's on my team, Lauren, we did an episode together in season one about it was not about addiction hopping, but she worked in an outpatient center in Philly that was an addiction rehabilitation center. And she was the dietitian. And what she talked about a lot in that episode, which I had never connected before, was just about the isolation when it comes to eating, when you're recovering from a different addiction. And one of the things that she brought up was, you know, a lot of times, like what you just said, that a lot of times people will go from substance abuse to some sort of food disorder, disordered eating habit or pattern and eating with people becomes incredibly stressful. And that isolation like really sits in. And I mean, with you, you just mentioned that this kind of came out of the pandemic. Have you seen a lot of that kind of connection to isolation and eating disorders and substance recovery right now more than ever? I mean, yeah, I think just like mental health. I mean, I think we're all struggling with our mental health more with the pandemic. I think that, (laughs) yeah, me too, right? Like, I think that that's just been a natural consequence, but also at the same time, I think it's been a bit of a wake up call for things that I think dietitians and therapists have been saying for a really long time, which is that mental health is super neglected and needs to be talked about more openly. Um, so yeah, I think the isolation is a really big thing. I think that, I think it's interesting with substance use disorders and eating disorders in that there are, right, like I've worked with some people who they're having like anxiety about 
the pandemic ending, almost like that pressure to like go to a bar or pressure, right? Like for the people that might have gotten into recovery in the pandemic, I think there's an interesting phenomenon of fear of how do I do it when I can't be on Zoom or how do I do it when I do have to go to a restaurant? If I haven't been in recovery and gone to a restaurant, it feels scarier than maybe just ordering takeout at home is might be the most you've ventured. Um, so I think it is going to be interesting to see how that's navigated because I think there were some positives to it, but also there was a lot of isolation and, you know, we didn't have our regular coping skills either. I have a lot of anxiety about the pandemic ending as well. I, it was like very clear to me when I was in a social situation recently where I was like, oh my God, like I have to put on clothes, I have to leave the house, to talk to people. <laughs> like, this is, but that's such a good point. And it is, there's a lot of learning that is going to continue to be done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's an SNL skit you guys need to watch that was just on last week that it's like, they're all pretend they're at like their first party post like coming out of quarantine and they're like talking but then it's like they're like saying things in their head and it's so accurate it's like everyone just like freaking out or just being like I don't want to fucking be here <laughs> yeah <laughs> I relate to this so heavily um but so I want to get into like tangible things that have been most helpful for you since obviously yeah. like you've gone through so much so I know you said from when you shared just a little bit in the beginning that one of your biggest like kind of pivots or, or big pinnacle moments of recovery was connecting with a therapist that you felt comfortable with that was open with you about their recovery so if you had to kind of yeah. whether it's expanding on that or just taking it further in other directions of things that you can really pinpoint they're like this was a huge piece of me being successful in recovery what kind of comes up for you there yeah, I mean, I definitely think finding a therapist who you connect with, I think something that people don't talk about or know necessarily is the relationship you build with your therapist or your connection to them is the number one predictor of if therapy will be successful and if you'll be able to meet your goals. Because if you can't be honest with your therapist, if you don't feel like you can give them feedback, if you can't take feedback, therapy is not going to be as successful as it could be. Um, so, I mean, I'm really grateful for like social media and stuff like that. I think it gives you a lot more of a taste of what someone might be about because of social media or, um, being able to like read someone's blog or something like that. Um, so that's one of my tips, but I also think back to what we were talking about with community. I think, I think finding other people who are going through what you're going through is so crucially important, whether that's in person or virtual. Um, I think that what's been really cool about Instagram also is that if you're like questioning your drinking or questioning whether you are struggling with diet culture, there's a lot of communities online and ways to meet people who might be going through a similar thing as you. And I think that that is so important in navigating this in questions that come up. Um, so that's like my biggest recommendation, I think. And to piggyback off of that for you, I mean, making sure the person that you're getting therapy from is licensed, like a <laughs> reputable source like you that has a team and, you know, vetted 
therapist on her team. I mean, I was just reading what I'm looking over here at my screen. I was reading one of your posts about not getting therapy advice in the comment section of social media. I mean, like there's so many positives to social media, but there's all of these health coaches or life coaches or people that don't have the designation to be giving this incredibly important advice. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think too, right? Like, yes, use Instagram to find resources, but right. Like just because you follow a dietitian or a therapist on Instagram doesn't mean they are your therapist. And sometimes I think that needs to be said too, because I say all the time, like, yes, I give general feedback or, you know, advice or whatever on, on social media. But if I was sitting with someone that might not be what I said to them that day. And that's the beauty of individual, you know, care is that someone can tailor what they say, what they share with you, what you guys work on based on what you want and your, you know, goals. Yes. And I think like, it's so funny that I'm glad you brought that up, Jenna. Cause it's like, we skip over that sometimes. Cause like to us, we're like, yeah, no shit. Look for someone <laughs> like credible, but it's so like that, like definitely is important. And then even on top of that, we talk about this in like pretty much every episode of season one, probably, <laughs> but that for dietitians specifically, dietitians are not required to get supervision in our field, which is mm. like so beyond dangerous and like yeah, scary and like thinking about how therapists, like you guys have that. Um, yeah. But so that's what I, I often like find myself on social media, like coaching people on how to pick a dietitian or a therapist mm. because people are seeing that like, okay, they're a dietitian, like check like done. And it's, and it's just like anything, like just being an advocate of your own health and doing your research of like really knowing what you're looking for. But I think that's, it's hard because people are like, people don't know that they need to look for that kind of stuff. Or like, you know, is my therapist getting support outside for herself? Is my dietitian getting support? You know, and that I think is really important too, because we shared how we were, I don't, no one could see if they're not watching, but when you were talking, when Amanda was talking about like mental health struggles during uh, quarantine, Jenna and I are just throwing our hands up, like me, pick me. And it's, we're all human. So it's making sure that if you're going to another human to get support, that they're getting the proper support to be able to hold space for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you bring up like a really good point too, in that I think people forget that you know, you can interview the person, you know, you get to decide if they are the right person for you. And sometimes people will reach out to me and be like, I really want someone older than me, or I really want someone the same age as me, or I want someone, you know, the same gender as me or the same identity as me or whatever. And they're like, is that okay? And it's like, it's your journey. You get to, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You get to decide. And I really believe in like, you can, you should interview your therapist before you meet with them. You should see if they have the same values as you, you should, you know, make sure that they're the right fit for you. And you might have to try a few, you know, before you find that right fit. It breaks my heart when people share stories about, I've been like going to the same therapist for like so many years and I don't like them. And like, how do I break up with them? And I'm just like... (laughs) Break up with them. Find a therapist who you like. Like therapy isn't easy. It's not always fun, but you should generally like your therapist and like respect them. Yes. And feel like they're on your team and like they support you. Right. Exactly. Yes. Well, I have, I feel like that's such a good place to jump off, but I really want to touch on your tagline, retired party girl, 
turned relatable therapist because Jenna and I are drunk dietitians yeah. turned Earned. certified intuitive <laughs> eating counselors. Yes. So I would love, like, if you could share, because I just did a post when I partnered with Groovy on, you know, just sober curiosity and life, you know, with alcohol, without it. So I would love to hear from you, like, the differences of your life when you were a party girl versus now and what questions you asked yourself to get to where you are, because I have a feeling we're going to have thousands upon thousands of women listening to this and they have that curiosity. And I feel like there's a lot of judgment and self-shame that happens, but being afraid to, to start to think about what it could look like to, to lessen drinking or whether it's giving it up completely. So anything you can share on that transformation for you and what was helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think what's so great and so cool is I think more people are talking about sober curiosity and really talking about how you don't have, I mean, my whole thing is you don't have to label yourself in any way to explore your relationship with alcohol. Um, I also really like how right before you're diagnosed with like an eating disorder, someone may say you exhibit traits of disordered eating. That doesn't mean you like are this, but you may have some symptoms And I think that can be a helpful way to look at alcohol. Like you may have some disordered drinking behaviors, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have like a substance use disorder or you have to call yourself an alcoholic. And I think it's unfair that if anyone, there's like the saying that if you're thinking about it, you are, or something like that. It causes so much problems with people being able to be curious and just explore. And to me, it's like limiting alcohol is like any other health promoting behavior. You can explore your relationship with sleep. You can explore your relationship with movement. You can explore your relationship with, you know, resting or, you know, mindfulness. And I think it's important. I think it's hard when alcohol is touted sometimes as self-care because, what we know based on the research is it's absolutely not. And that's fine. But I think it's like looking at, um, you know, when people just say like, treat yourself to alcohol and stuff like that. Like, what does that actually mean? Are you actually feeling better the next day? Is it actually something that's like, you know, going to make you feel better? And my general tips too are not using alcohol uh, to deal with emotions. I think that's one of the most helpful things across the board we can try to do, whether you want to stop drinking or do kind of like, uh, you know, decide that you want to stop drinking for a week or 30 days or whatever. I would start with the, the, I think that's the easiest one or not maybe the easiest, but the most impactful one is to not use alcohol to deal with your emotions because that we know for sure is not actually helping you deal with your emotions. We have plenty of experience. If anybody wants to talk off air, we <laughs> all tell you from our life experience that it is not beneficial. And I love oh. that. I love that tip. Yeah. It's so I think like, oops, sorry, John. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I think too, um, like if you don't have to, if you don't have to label yourself, if you don't have to put the pressure on yourself, the question I recommend people asking is, is my life better without alcohol? And maybe it's yes, maybe it's no, maybe it's better without drinking this type of alcohol. Maybe it's better only drinking on the weekends. Maybe it's better drinking once a week. Maybe it's better not getting drunk so that you don't get hung over. But I think that's the most important 
question to ask. Not, are you an alcoholic? Not, do I have a problem with alcohol? But how is this impacting my life? Is this leading me closer to my goals or farther away from my goals? I just love this conversation from the perspective of when you hear health professionals talking a lot about alcohol, it's so often on social media being related to weight and physical body. But what you're saying right now in so many ways is how we're relating like our life and our ability to get up in the morning and to have it be fulfilling each day um, with your relationship. And what sparked my mind before that, I have like all of these thoughts like going right now, um, is I'm a new mom and new mom culture is all about wine and it's horrible. And I read a post very recently that made me stop and think um, about so much. I think it was Doc Britt Fit, who we've had on the podcast in season one, and I believe she's sober. And she mentioned, there was a post that said, you know, what is it teaching your child if mommy needs her wine is what she grows up or he grows up like hearing yeah. at the end of each day, like at five o'clock, like mom, it's time for mommy to have whatever. Um, and that like hit me hard. Not that I had been abusing it, but you know, it's just something to think about, you know, the words that you use around the choices that you make too are so impactful and you don't know who's listening. Um, which is just, I'm sure a whole nother spinoff episode we could do all about that culture. And we don't have time for that today, but just something to think about. (laughs) Well, I think what's so cool is, I mean, I think still in the, um, still in the sobriety community, a lot of times I find it challenging because there's still a lot of diet culture that's woven in to, um, the recovery and sobriety community and stuff like that. And what has been cool is I think that the, um, anti-diet community and the health at every size community is starting to see alcohol and start and is able to recognize like, cause for me, it's like alcohol and diet culture are the same. They're both selling us the idea that if we were a different way, we would be happy. Right. I mean, like I do this presentation sometimes and I have these slides of Kim Kardashian selling like Midori, like brand alcohol and like Kim Kardashian selling like Nutrisystem. Like they're both promising the same thing that we will be happy and successful and popular if we just drink this drink or we do this diet. But they're the same. They're both profiting off of our insecurities. And so is she. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. All of those points are so valid. And I think That was the big question. Maybe it wasn't worded the same as you said, but when I started to really dig in, um, in my, my, in my story, it was a little different than Jenna's where I started looking at it with infertility Mm -hmm. and going through IVF multiple cycles, like not allowed to drink, nor do you want to, when you're injecting yourself with massive amounts of hormones, Right. but saying like, but it really got me to stop and think like, why do I drink alcohol? And that got me to where your kind of tips came in of like, are you drinking for emotional reasons? And I have, although people can't see it, if you Google feelings wheel, we have many feelings as human beings, right? As I'm telling it to a therapist who knows so well. And (laughs) I was one of those people that I was like, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm mad, right? The average human knows three emotions and there's so yes, much I love that statistic. Me too. And there's so much more. We are so much more complex. And 
So a lot of times alcohol for me was tied to emotions of whether I was anxious or stressed or whatever. And that numbs us out. And it's that coping mechanism of brushing under the rug. So that was something I shared on our, on my page with find food freedom was like, if you're going to get curious, like get support, because that was something that kind of frightened me how much emotion came up when I did take away alcohol completely. Yeah. And so making sure if that's something you're going to do that, whether it's a friend going through it, or of course, if you, if you have the privilege to get professional support, like yeah. my therapist was so helpful during that time because so much came up and I wasn't numbing it. And not that yeah. I necessarily numbed it, like, again, from an abuse standpoint of like a bottle of wine a night, like just even a right. glass or two was yeah. enough to like take the edge off to brush it under the rug. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was so good. I am um, not to change the subject, but I have a, a question that I would love to hear your your answer to, I yeah. guess is the easiest way to say it. But I, one of the things that I wrote down when you were talking in the beginning is you mentioned, you know, somebody's reaching someone's goals in therapy. And I think I love that because I think it needs to be normalized that you're allowed to have goals. Like, again, we live in diet culture. People think of goals and they think of think we don't even need to list them, but not the same ones that you're speaking of right now. But oftentimes when someone works with a dietitian and especially an intuitive eating based dietitian, people are like, you know, when do I graduate? Right? Like when am I healed or when is this over? How do I know when I've gotten there? Right. And it's really hard. I always tell my clients that, you know, there is no, yay, you have food freedom. It's like, yeah. yay, you now understand, you know, what this will take for the rest of your life to continue to enjoy life and so on and so forth. But when it comes to therapy, I find that a lot of people are more willing to continue on with therapy, mm -hmm. like across their lifespan or, you know, as long as they're able to. But when it comes to nutrition, they do have a harder time with it. But I, I do see a lot of parallels in the work that all three of us do. And so I'm curious from your standpoint, when you set goals with a client, like what do they look like and how do they reach them? And how long does it take to get there? <laughs> and it's okay if you say forever, because that's very realistic. Um, but I think that that's something that people would love to, to hear from somebody different than Sam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you know I'm going to say this. Obviously, it's different for everyone. Right, of course, um, it depends. <laughs> yeah, so it depends. But I mean, I think, I, and I think obviously it depends on, right, like what they want to work on and stuff like that. I specifically work with a lot of people who the big goal is like, uh, you know, to get into, like to get into recovery from their eating disorder or to, um, the goal is to like, not, you know, blackout during the week. And then that, I think the goals change, right? Because I think a lot of times someone will come and be like, my goal is just to control my drinking or something like that. And as we explore that, maybe they try to control their drinking in different ways. And it ends up being a conversation of maybe they also end up having an eating disorder. I mean, I think those overlapping are so common. So it's really interesting in therapy how the goals change as we dig more, right? Like the goal may be to, you know, have a better relationship with, um, you know, a parent. And then you end up realizing that that relationship needs to look different than you thought it would. Um, so I think 
I mean, you can keep setting goals. I mean, a lot of people ask me sometimes, when do I know I need to end therapy or what if I don't want to stop therapy? And I mean, for most people, depending on the goals that they're working on, I'm really a believer in like therapy is for everyone. And I think almost anyone who can financially and has, you know, coverage and has a therapist they like, and they're setting new goals. I think you, I think there's no harm in doing it at all. I mean, as a therapist, I can say ethically what my obligation is, is if I'm causing harm to this person, obviously I'm not going to continue to work with them. So some therapists, for example, who only work with like high intense cases might feel like they can't keep working with someone. But from my perspective, I like being able to step back and see how they do, right? Like maybe you don't do therapy every week. Maybe you start to do every other week or every two weeks so you can implement some of those skills. And then if other things come up or you have new goals or you're someone who really is interested in growth and high performance or has a lot of stuff going on, I really think that therapy can be ongoing as long as we're doing work and you're identifying goals and you're making progress. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they give you like a number answer. <laughs> because there is none, right? Isn't like really one. I mean, I would say at least a couple months uh, to start like getting in there and really making progress. But yeah, it just, it's so dependent on that person, what they're working on, what they want. I saw something posted recently that was like a dietitian answering something where it was like, if the nutrition professional doesn't answer the question with on social media with it depends run that is very very good point and I think it comes down to you as well like a lot of the people that we all work with have you know been in diet culture for 5 10 20 30 plus years maybe have had you know substance abuse for that many years trauma from childhood and now they're in their adult life and that's where it's like, I think everyone in this world wants instant gratification and, you know, that magic pill, just like diet culture preaches. But it's, I always remind people, if you have 30 plus years of, you know, diet history, you are a professional dieter. And mm-hmm. I wish that it would take one, two, six sessions to just poof, like it's all gone, yeah. but it takes so much time. And it's, who says that, is it, Evelyn that says it's the best archaeological dig. I forget who says that with diet culture, but someone calls it the archaeological dig. I think think Brie Campos. Oh, Brie. Brie. Okay. Yes. Makes sense. I knew someone that we always talk about. It wouldn't be a pot. It wouldn't be a what the actual fourth podcast episode without mentioning Brie. Yes. Yes. We always (laughs) mention Brie. So yes, I love that like idea of just, it's, it's, it's truly, you could work forever. And it, yeah, um, and your life changes, right? It's like you become a parent or you're dealing with this or one of your, you know, one of your parents is struggling or you have a friend go through something, you're, you lose your job, whatever. And then that changes the goals and the things that you might want to work on too. Yes, absolutely. So as we wrap up here, Amanda, we always like to live, leave our listeners with, you know, kind of putting a bow on it. Like if you could leave them with one thing, if they don't remember anything we talked about, what do you think would be the most important fact or tip that they can leave this episode with? I think that um, 
they get to choose their relationship with them. I mean, like, I'm a really big believer in choice and like empowerment in that way of like, it's your life. And if something isn't working for you, you have a right to question it and change it, whether that's diet culture and your relationship with food, whether it's your relationship with alcohol, whether it's the relationship with your therapist or current dietitian, or, you know, anything in your life, you have a right to look at it and explore it. And, um, you know, if, if possible, change it. Perfect. Perfect. And so for anybody listening who wants to learn more and, and contact you, where can, where can they best reach you at? Yes, you can visit our website at therapyforwomencenter.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Therapy for Women. <laughs> Thank you for sharing just so much of yourself, your story, your inspiration. There's just, there's so many more episodes of this podcast we could spend with you. Yeah. Um, but you really gave us a taste of so much and we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.